This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Live from Indianapolis, it's Jeremy Warner. Welcome to the Illini Choir Podcast. Joy Wagner sitting across the... Uh hotel room for me typing away because we were just at Big Ten Media Days day one and while Illinois wasn't there today we got plenty of content on the way. Uh, Illinois did announce in addition to its staff Sean Snyder former Kansas State assistant former USC assistant he will take over for Ben Miller who's still on medical leave as he continues to fight colon cancer. Uh, Ben Miller released a statement today saying he's had good news on his diagnosis but he continues uh, to fight and, and go through treatment. Uh, so he's going to have surgery on his liver this year, and uh, we wish him nothing but the best. But that means he will be out this fall. And Sean Snyder, who comes with a very impressive resume, coaching special teams both for his legendary coach father, Bill Snyder at Kansas State, as well as USC, had a lot of success there. Himself a very good punter for his dad at Kansas State. So that was the Illinois news today. But we got to hear from Kevin Warren. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit impressed comparatively, uh, relatively to what we've heard from him in the past. But I thought uh, Kevin Warren started to kind of fit his way into his role third year on the job uh, he looked more confident sounded more confident and really bold and aggressive and was right really now a cutthroat time of sea change in college football so I thought Kevin Warren uh, was mostly impressive today but got to hear from a lot of other coaches Joey's typing up a notebook right now about what we heard but also with Big Ten Media Day is one of my favorite things is catching up with a lot of the Big Ten writers getting to know what they think of their teams that they cover. And I thought, why not just bring that here to the podcast today? So today, caught up with four Big Ten writers of four teams that Illinois will play this year. Talked Indiana with Jeff Rabjohns. Uh, we talked Iowa with David Eichel from Hawkeye Insider, uh, Jeff Rabjohns from Peaks.com. And uh, also talked Purdue with Tom Deanhart of the rival site GoldenBlack.com. And I also caught up with my good old buddy Ryan Burns of GophersIllustrated.com who covers Minnesota. So we'll catch up on all four of those programs in this podcast. We'll start with Ryan Burns on Minnesota, a team that Illinois was able to defeat last year, and Illinois' win over Minnesota kept them from representing the Big Ten West in the Big Ten Championship. So we'll go through all these teams, and we also talk a little basketball, especially with Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com, but also I'll talk some Iowa basketball. We'll just get to basketball offseason takes in there as well. So hope you enjoy this as we go on the beat around the Big Ten with four fantastic Big Ten writers. That's coming up next on the Online Enquirer podcast. Catching up with Big Ten beat writers at Big Ten Media Days. It's my guy, Ryan Burns, Gopher Illustrated. Was just up in your city, by the way. Liked your ballpark. Don't like your team. Yeah. Respect them, but uh, I, I don't like them very much. Yeah, I don't appreciate your Chicago White Sox. Your favorite manager, Tony La Russa, somehow figuring it out here as we approach the trade deadline. But it's a beautiful city. It is. It really is. And I'm just glad that I get to see you in your schmedium. You're rocking it well. I want all your subscribers. This is to the know. least schmedium shirt I have. I know. It's about two sizes too schmedium for you. It's too big for you. But I'm trying to get svelte like uh, your favorite Jeremy Warner, folks. Looking good before, before the wedding comes up. But uh, that's not why I brought you on the show. Uh, wedding advice? Uh, you don't want to give do me any? any? Well, I want you to give me some. Um, yes. Say yes to whatever she has to say okay. is, is probably the good yes, thing. And best. say, what can I do to help you? Okay. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work, certainly work. I'll take that to heart. And have fun. When the day comes, there's nothing more you can do. Yes. So just have fun with your buddies. Because everyone is there to celebrate you too, yeah. right? It's everyone who loves you is there. You just get to enjoy their company. Uh, see, this is why people came and clicked on this podcast. Wedding advice with Jeremy Warner. All right, so P.J. Fleck came up caffeinated, as always, uh, excited about his football program. No matter what people think about P.J., he's done a heck of a job in Minnesota. And last year was a, a pretty successful year for them, despite the loss uh, to Illinois. Um, but what are the expectations going in this year for P.J. Fleck in Minnesota? 
Well, you mentioned Flex personality. It's so fun to watch go from Jim Harbaugh to Pat Fitzgerald to Kirk Ferentz to then P.J. Fleck and his walking five Red Bulls all the all the time and again. It's just it's off-putting. I get it. It's just like it, that is always that energy is always there. But expectations are they want to be here in four months. They want to be back here at Lucas Oil Stadium. I think it's a realistic possibility. But for that to happen, they're going to have to solve some issues. They got to solve the Iowa problem. They're own five against Kirk Ferentz. That can't happen again if they're going to somehow win the West. They got to become more consistent. They can't have a Bowling Green fiasco. Losing to a terrible MAC team at home is inexcusable. You know they can't have the offense just completely lie flat like they did against the Illinois team last year. And that's why Kirk Schrock is now in, and Mike Sanford's now at Colorado. And oh, by the way, they get to come back to Huntington Bank Stadium. Mike Sanford does, and in September, but the expectations are this team needs to win eight, nine games. They need to become what Iowa and Wisconsin are every year, where it's consistent. They haven't found that consistency the last three years. They showed their ceiling in 2019, still didn't win the West, and they won 11 games. Went back below in the COVID season, eight and four last year, but not enough consistency to win the West. If they can find consistency, they'll win the West, but if they're not, it's just going to be another what-if season for Minnesota. You mentioned Kirk Shiraka back, had a lot of success with Tanner Morgan. Now, Tanner had some really good wide receivers, correct, when yes. uh, they had a, a lot of success there. Tyler Johnson was a heck of a player, and, of course, Rashad Bateman. Um, what do they hope Shiraka brings to that offense that obviously ran the ball really well last year? Yeah, and that's where their passing game was incredibly sad. It was pathetic. You can call it what it was. It sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, no team threw the ball less in Power 5 than the Minnesota Golden Gophers last year. They completely abandoned the forward pass. I thought I was watching 1950s football. Now, it, it helps when your offensive line was as good as they were. They were on running back five and six and, and still finding success, but they need to figure out the forward pass, and that's where – you talk with Tanner Morgan here today at, at Big Ten Media Days. They think they've figured some things out. I think it also helps that they got their top five pass catchers back from last season, something that uh, Wisconsin can't say, something that Iowa can't say. And that's where it's going to be. If if Minnesota finds their ceiling, it'll be because they have a viable passing game. It doesn't even have to be good. You know like I do. There's the only one team in the West that has a decent offense with, with, uh, with in regards to passing. If you can just be... Average, have an average passing offense in the Big Ten West, you are a tier above many people in this division. So if they can find a ceiling, it's going to be because they can find the forward pass. If they don't, and this is a six or a seven win team, I guarantee we come back and say pass protection wasn't there. Tanner Morgan couldn't find it again in year six, and the pass catchers couldn't find consistency. Didn't matter who ran the ball last year, they found success. But Mo Ibrahim, I think everyone who was a college football fan hated seeing that Achilles injury. What is the expectation with him back for another year? Are they expecting the same Mo Ibrahim? Um, and and if not, what does that mean for Minnesota? It seems like they have good backs no matter who's running the ball. Yeah, I mean the expectations are, and I told you this before we started recording. Like I think people are talking a lot about Braylon Allen, and deservingly so. But it's you know Chase, uh, excuse me, Chase Allen, Chase Brown, uh, I think is the most underrated running back, and I think you could put Mo Ibrahim. I think people forget just two years ago in that COVID season, he was the Big Ten running back of the year, and he threw three quarters of the first game against Ohio State. He was ripping him apart, nearly had 200 yards, and then he pops his Achilles. Now, that's a devastating injury for skill position players. It's a devastating injury for running backs, but that's where I would say Mo Ibrahim's game isn't based really off quick twitch. He's if he was running a 4.75, now he's probably running a 4.8. But what what's the difference for him? And that's where the expectations are, and we just asked P.J. Fleck. You know, he's going to be 100%. He's cleared, full contact, everything ready to go. Same thing goes with their number two back, Trayson Potts, who suffered a freak injury after their Purdue game, who spent five nights in the hospital. I never, I, If you would have asked me then if he would ever played football again, I would have told you not a chance, never. And now he's cleared, went through spring ball, ready to go. So... I think Minnesota's really excited that they have two guys back off freak injuries. Now, again, what they look like, we're going to have to find out in September, but I think there is a potent one-two punch there that can compete with the Wisconsins and the Illinois backfields, who I think are some of the best in the West. The offensive line was amazing uh, last year, just one of the biggest offensive lines you'll ever see. A lot of turnover there, right? Um, Illinois is having the same thing, so what do you expect up front for what was the strength of the team last year? 
Yeah, that's going to be the question mark. Is they return their center, an Illinois native, John Michael Schmitz, who's going to be a Remington candidate. I think he's the best center Minnesota's had since Greg Esslinger won the Remington about 15, 16 years ago. But alongside of him, it's inexperience. Now, it's not young, which I've seen a lot of young Minnesota offensive lines in my time. I look to the right and the left of him at guard. They're going to be six-year guys. I look at the left tackle position. It'll be a third year. Right tackle will be a fourth or a fifth. They're going to be inexperienced because the guys in front of them played a lot of football. But instead of talking about teenagers starting a tackle or teenagers starting a guard, they're at least close to legal drinking age, if not being able to rent a car at a very nice price like you and I. So that's going to that's the biggest question mark on the entire offense is I think I know what they'll get out of Tanner Morgan. It's not great, but it's not awful like a Graham Mertz or a Spencer Petrus, but it is, it's steady with Tanner. With the offensive line, I mean, that's going to, as you know, like I do, where's the Big Ten West won and lost? It's in the trenches. And so if they can't find consistency up front, it's going to be another tough year potentially. Defense took huge strides last year, right? I mean, that was a huge reason they found success. Um, how do they build off that um, based off what they did last year? That's that's a great question because that's the defense is what carried them. It was running the football, sitting on the ball because their defense was so good. And that's where I think Joe Rossi is one of the best defensive coordinators in the Big Ten. Probably isn't talked about enough for what he did last year. Did no, he I, get hired after that debacle? They fired him. Yeah, they fi- Smith, yeah. yeah, that was the best thing that ever happened <laughs> for P.J. Fleck was the uh, Illinois debacle where they hung 52 on him. And then they, Rob Smith got fired, Joe Rossi. Uh, got hired, and they took on a, the next week Purdue, who had scored 30 points in six of their last seven. And Minnesota somehow went from giving up 52 to Illinois to 14 to Purdue the next week, and the rest is history. So, Illinois, thank you, because <laughs> or else Rob Smith would have been continuing to be the defensive coordinator. But, I mean, there's a lot of good D coordinators in this league. I think Joe Rossi deserves to be up there. I mean, you talk to him, and he's one of those guys where you have a conversation with him, and it only can be about football because that is, that's his life. He's really good at X's and O's. Now they're going to be, again, inexperienced up front because they lose a lot of guys that played a lot of football, but we're talking about third- and fourth-year guys. And that's where you and I have seen that's been the program or the recipe for success at Iowa and Wisconsin is you, you know, they'll graduate a fifth- or a sixth-year guy, but they're replacing them the next year with a third- or a fourth-year guy. That's where you need to be old and if you're going to have experience or if you're going to have success, I should say. So it's going to come down to can they stop the run like they did last year? Because if they can, that's how you win in the West. Yeah, I like how you keep alluding to being Iowa, Wisconsin, because that's what Illinois wants to be, right? It's just that consistency of getting to bowl games. So before we let you go, Ryan, ceiling of Minnesota. I know I saw your piece the other day. I know what you think the ceiling can be. Uh, but the floor of, of Minnesota, what do you think is the spectrum for Minnesota this week? Look, I know we've talked about it, but I'll say it again here on the record. I just don't understand 85% of people picking Wisconsin. They're the safe pick. But you look at their schedule and they get Ohio State. Iowa's got Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, Minnesota's crossover has missed both of them. Now going to Happy Valley for a whiteout game, not easy. Going to uh, East Lansing, a place Minnesota hasn't won, very, it's going to be challenging, but it's not Ohio State and Michigan, who I think are going to be in that same in that top tier. I mean, ceiling, I would say ten and two, and back here in Indianapolis, um, I would say floor six and six, seven and five. I think there's too much experienced talent on offense for this thing to fail. With Tanner Morgan in his sixth year, Mo Ibrahim in his sixth year, John Michael Schmitz in his sixth year, your top five pass catchers are back. It's going to come down to what does your offensive and defensive line give you. There's not a lot of starts coming back there. If they can just find something that they can mitigate all that and just kind of play to their strengths, which is going to be the experienced elsewhere, it'll be a very interesting year for those final couple games. Because, again, last year, Minnesota would have been in Indianapolis if Nebraska, your favorite Nebraska team, holds a two-score lead in the fourth quarter at home on Black Friday. Or if they would have beat Illinois at home. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's just about consistency. And that's been the big thing that you, I mean, gun to my head, they're probably eight and four, nine and three. I don't know if that gets you in Indianapolis this year, but it's going to get you in the conversation. Uh, quick one, Ben Johnson, good start to last year. Obviously, talent's going to take a while to build up in Minnesota. He's gone heavy with the transfer portal. 
What's the latest with Minnesota basketball? What's their next step, or how, how have they taken their next step? Uh, it would be just become relevant in the Big Ten. I mean, it, that's what it is. I mean, I think the ceiling for that team is just make the tournament. Now, the floor, we saw what it was last year. You're in that Nebraska tier. You don't want to be in the Nebraska basketball tier. You really don't. But that's where they've taken some transfers, guys like Dawson Garcia, who just two years ago, Big East freshman of the year, they're hoping to kind of make some strides there and become relevant. But, again, for them it's going to be point guard play and try and figure out how they can get the ball to guys like Dawson Garcia, how they can get kind of the way that Ben Johnson wants to play. You know, spread it out. You can have five guys who can shoot it and play with a lot of length. But I think it's still going to take a year or two. But if they could find a way to even be in the bubble conversation this year, I think many Minnesota fans would be happy with that. Ryan Burns, Gophers Illustrated. Uh, tell Buxton to take it easy on my boys, all right? Well, I'm just hoping we find some pitching at the deadline so you're White Sox and I don't have to hear that little laugh in my DMs. But appreciate the time. All right, catching up with uh, some of the Big Ten fellow writers here, and let's talk with David Eichel from HawkeyeInsider.com. Covers Iowa. Which heck, heck of a year last year for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I know you predicted that one last year, David, but I guess the question is how do they continue to build off that? Because, uh, you know, Wisconsin's always the favorite, it seems like. They're the favorite again this year, but Iowa is always seemingly picked second, and they are again this year. You know, it's going to be interesting this season, Jeremy, because a lot of people have criticized Iowa's past scheduling, which is obviously out of their control, but they get Michigan this year, they play Ohio State this year, so. I mean, I would probably say I would probably have picked Iowa had their schedule been at least lined up a little bit easier. I'm not really buying all the Wisconsin love. I think Minnesota, given their schedule and the running game and defensively, guys, I think that they'll, uh, I think they'll have a good shot as well. And who knows, maybe Purdue will have a shot as well. So, I mean, the Big Ten West could be open. But, you know, Jeremy, I hate saying this, but it's, it's a race to finish second to Ohio State this year. But, uh, you know, I think Iowa's, you know, they return 14 starters. I think their defense is going to be even better than last year despite losing three defensive backs. Phil Parker, what he does just in terms of turning the ball over, it's pretty pretty incredible. But, I mean, obviously when you talk about Iowa football, you start with the quarterbacks and, you know, Iowa's offense, which it's such a case study to me because you look at Nebraska, you know, I hate saying the three best three the best three win team in in college you know football history but you put Iowa special teams on there I mean Nebraska probably wins eight nine games and maybe is near the top of the division so Iowa's 121st in overall offense last year you're not winning 10 games with those numbers again so I want to start on the defensive side of the football though because Phil Parker I don't know how much the average Big Ten fan knows him but what he's done defensively has been ridiculous so how have they been so good consistently with his defense what makes him so good I think Phil just takes a very interesting approach to everything. I think Iowa's zone scheme obviously has played really, really well, and I think the way he he almost uses just geometry in terms of how he recruits his, his players and really tests them on that. He goes, okay, how many yards is it sideline to sideline? How many yards is this hash mark to this hash mark? So he really focuses in on those little details and really gets people – you know, that, that fit in with Iowa's culture. I mean, I think you look at some of his best defensive backs who have come through the program. I mean, these are two three-star guys that really shouldn't have done anything. I mean, Jack Kerner was a very reliable star for three years at safety. He was a walk-on guy from an in-state walk-on. Uh, Kayvon Merriweather, who I think could be one of the breakout players in the Big Ten this year, he was a two-star. Iowa got him basically on the second signing day as a surprise commit to literally everybody but the program. Josh Jackson, two-star. Desmond King, low three-star. I just think he's learned to extract the best out of players that are undervalued, and that's why Iowa getting five-star safety to Xavier Wampa, it's such a very big deal, and that's why there's so much expectations on Xavier. And, you know, our own Steve Wiltfong said he could see him being the next Jim Thorpe Award winner uh, coming out of Iowa. So, Really can't get much higher expectations than that. But I think just the way Iowa's been built on 24 years under Kirk Ferentz, um, it always starts with defense. It starts with line play. And I think, again, Phil extracting the best, especially last year, is such an amazing thing to me because they had 11 different guys have interceptions last year, 25 total. They've had 89 since the start of 2017, which leads the country. But Iowa's defensive line last year, really, they didn't have a go-to pass rusher. But... You know, opposing quarterbacks would have so much time back there, but Iowa secondary was locked tight. So I think that just because they were so locked tight, opposing quarterbacks would just get frustrated and trying to make a play, and then that's when Iowa smells blood, and that's when they continue to sort of pile that on. So Iowa waits for you to make a mistake, and Iowa rarely makes mistakes, and they know how to make teams pay, and that's why they, you know, they're 11th turnover margin last year, which is why they won 10 games. Kind of the story of the Illinois game where Illinois had a 10 nothing lead, but then mistakes turned into some big points for for Iowa um so do you expect you said you expect them 
could be as good as last year defensively or maybe even better. Why is that? I think the defensive line there turned everybody but Zach Van Valkenburg. Obviously, Van Valkenburg was a very steady presence on the edge, but I think Deontay Craig is going to be a, a really good player. I think John Wagner, former four-star, can really piece it together. And then I'm Luke, I'm on the Lucas Van Ness train. I know Illinois fans probably won't like me hearing me say that, but seven and a half sacks last year in limited snaps. The dude's six foot five, up to about 278 pounds. His nickname is Hercules around Iowa's campus, and you just look at him. He is built like a Greek god. I think I told you that before we started recording. So I think Iowa's pass rushing is going to be a little bit better. And then Iowa returning, you know, starting three linebackers for a third straight year. Justin Jacobs, I think, is going to be a pro caliber linebacker. Jack Campbell, I think, needs to be in a conversation to be an early second round pick in the NFL draft. 6'5 guy, sideline to sideline speed, 143 tackles last year. And then they get Riley Moss back, who I think could have been a Jim Thorpe Award finalist last year had he not hurt his knee against Penn State. And then they have Terry Roberts, Jamari Harris, and other guys who are experienced. And if Xavier Wampa can continue to integrate himself in that defense, I think he can become a key player. And another name that people want to know is Cooper DeGene, former All-American, high school All-American from small-town Iowa. He's put on a lot of really good muscle. He's playing cash, but he can line up about everywhere on the field. All right, let's go to the offense where there might be bigger questions, and that starts with the quarterback. Um, Spencer Petrus, Petrus wasn't uh, very good last year, let's just put it that way. Uh, and Padilla came in, played a little bit. Is that the biggest story uh, going into training camp is, is the quarterbacks? I think it has to be, but I'd also say at wide receiver is. I mean, right now Iowa's only got six healthy scholarship receivers that are going to be playing football this year. Obviously, Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, who I think are going to be two very, very good receivers for multiple years. I think Keegan Johnson has potential, Not maybe not this year, but in the future to be Iowa's first all Big Ten wide receiver since Marvin McNutt back in 2011, which stacks up when you watch the Iowa offense. Um, but I think that's a big question mark. I mean, you look at the pieces around, you know, Spencer Petras and, and Alex Padilla, you know, obviously there's some holes, but there's a lot of talent there. They get Sam Laporta, who I think could be a potential third-team All-American behind, you know, whoever George is playing at this point. <laughs> Maybe a Michael Meyer at Notre Dame as well. Um, they got Luke Lachey, former All-American. I think he's a really good talent. The offensive line, I think, is going to be better than last year, even without, you know, without Linderbaum. But, you know, now everybody else has experience as well. I think Gavin LaShawn Williams at running back, I think they'll be more efficient than Tyler Goodson. Tyler Goodson was a very good big play caliber running back. But when you look at him between the tackles and what, what Iowa needs is those tough yards, Goodson really just didn't fit in with that combined with Iowa's young offensive line. So, it's going to come down to play calling. It's going to come down to Spencer Petrus's efficiency because from October 9th to the bowl game, Petrus threw no touchdowns. He was hurt in between. Padilla threw two touchdowns against Minnesota on October 9th. Iowa did not throw another touchdown until January 1st in the bowl game against Kentucky, and they still somehow won 10 games. Um, so when your name is Brian Ferentz, I don't know if you're ever on the hot seat. So, But from the mentions I see of you, uh, he seems to be squarely in the targets. Um, what is the deal with, with Brian Ferentz play calling? Obviously his dad's a head coach. So like, what is, what is the dynamic there? It's interesting. And here's the thing. If you take away Brian's last name, I think obviously I think he would be fired right now. But I've also told people this. I think when you listen to Brian talk, Brian knows football. I mean, he is incredibly intelligent. Bill Belichick has, you know, praised him on national television for how smart he is. But, again, Kirk moving Brian to quarterbacks coach makes sense because especially modern-day college football, you have your quarterbacks working directly with the play callers and working with the quarterbacks. So I think that's a good move. I think hiring John Budmeyer, the former uh, Wisconsin quarterbacks coach, to be an offensive analyst and to work with Brian, I think that's a very good move. But there might be no coordinator in the Power 5 football with more pressure than Brian Ferentz this year because if Iowa doesn't show not just improvement, an immediate improvement in weeks one and week two, how are you going to be able to justify that, especially when you look at Iowa's offensive numbers? This is a third-year returning starting quarterback as well. So, again, this isn't some freshman coming in. Petrus is a fourth, fifth-year guy right now, and he's got the pieces around him. So it's going to be very, very interesting, and the noise is only going to get louder, and I may have to mute all my mentions on Twitter and, and on my message board with anything revolving Brian and Ferris if, if they don't come out and, and I think at least put up a, a good performance against South Dakota State and Iowa State in the first two weeks. You mentioned the special teams. There were some key players there, right? And Charlie Jones now a Purdue Boilermaker, which – Iowa fans are still, I think, steaming over, and rightfully so, because I think it's impossible to replace what he did in the return game, how dynamic he was. But 
you know, I think Charlie Jones' move makes sense when you look at his offensive upside and what Purdue needs and his long-standing relationship with Aiden O'Connell. But, you know, Iowa's kicking, I think, has been really underappreciated from Iowa fans because they've been so good for the last six, seven years. I mean, they had Keith Duncan. You followed up with Caleb Shudak. Uh, before that, they had Miguel Racinos. I mean, these are as consistent of kickers as there are in the country. And when Iowa can't, you know, turn uh, red zone possessions into touchdowns, you need that reliable kicking. So how is that going to have an impact? Obviously, getting Torrey Taylor back, I think, is a massive move. And I think Iowa's skill positions have more athleticism than they've had in a long, long time. So I think there are options at returner. But I also think you're sweating a little bit because, again, with the way Iowa's offense has been so unproven, you can't shoot yourselves in the foot, and that's what I think Kirk has really built the program around is just wait for others to make mistakes, and they are, they can't make their own mistakes. But a lot of youth, a lot of athleticism. But uh, it, it's this whole season is just going to be very interesting to see what Iowa can do. So given that, what is the ceiling of this team? What's the floor of this team? I think the floor is 7-5. and five. I just don't see them finishing 6-6. Six and six. I think there's too much talent on this team regardless. I think that Iowa can go 10-2, and 11-1 as a high, high ceiling if everything goes their way. I think Iowa either beats Michigan or Ohio State because I don't see them losing both because Iowa just somehow pulls out one of those games a year. I'm picking Iowa to beat Purdue. I probably should not be doing that, just given the history. And then Iowa, I think late stretch of the season will falter a couple times. I have them finishing nine and three right now, so I think you give them two games either way. I think that's the ceiling, but I mean ceiling and floor. But again, I think there's too much talent. I think there's too much consistency. I think the culture uh, is actually in a, such a better place than it has been too. So the schedule is brutal, but you know I think Iowa wants it, and I think Iowa fans should embrace it because guess what? Nobody's gonna be complaining about that. Iowa has an easy schedule this year. Uh, one team I think some of the national pundits don't talk about enough with basketball, or two teams, are Illinois. And Iowa. I love the way those teams yep. kind of reset. Tell me about what you thought of the Iowa offseason. Keegan had an unbelievable year last year, All-American, top five pick. So, so what do you think their reset looks like? Because they do return a lot of good players. Yeah, I think you're right about Illinois and Iowa, too. I think Iowa, obviously Chris Murray's got all the expectations in the world, especially since Keegan is you know lighting it up in summer league. But I think Patrick McCaffrey can take a big step forward. I think Peyton Sanford is going to become more of a national name, especially in regards to shooting. Um, and I think that DeSante Bowen, I love the way he fits with this Iowa offense. Uh, losing Joe Toussaint I think hurts a little bit, but you know at times you just turn the ball over too much. But Iowa right now, they have long athletic wings that can shoot the ball and I think if they can focus on defensive rebounding and just hustle plays I think that they can really turn into a probably top five team in the Big Ten I think a top four is probably the ceiling uh, and again I think Iowa if they would have somehow landed Fardaz Amek who went to Texas Tech Iowa is very much in the running for him I mean I think you're talking about an elite eight caliber team uh, given his upside but you know, I think if there's a year that Iowa didn't land a big transfer big in the portal, I think this is the year because you look around the Big Ten, there's really not a lot of known commodities at center. Obviously, Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana, is going to be a freak this year, probably one of the top two or three players that could win player of the year. I think I'm looking for Coleman Hawkins to actually make a big step forward, too, by the way. I'm a huge, huge fan of him and his game. Which what I loved about Iowa last year is they were so different from everybody. Yeah. Right? And, and you can tell Underwood kind of likes that, too, of being – more versatile, longer, more athletic, maybe not as plotting. As Iowa had to be under Garza, right? And it's yep. no shot at Garza, it's no shot at Kofi Coburn, but you have to play a certain way with those yep. guys. It's more versatile. So I, I like the way Fran's done that, and I think Illinois is kind of modeled that this offseason. Yeah, and I think, again, I think Brad Underwood's done a great job after losing everything. That He seems like he was never in panic mode, at least from my outside perspective, and I think that's something that Illinois fans should take comfort in, and I'm so excited for those games this year because I think I also think, given the way that the season ended with Chris Murray m- missing that three and Chris being the guy this year, I think Chris is going to go into that game with a little bit of an extra chip on his shoulder. And I fantastic game. Yeah, I mean, they have. And I think that, you know, people talk about Keegan. And you could, I think we all kind of saw that he was going to take a big step forward in sophomore year. I mean, obviously nobody expected to follow up Luca Garcet with, with that sort of performance. But I think when you look at Keegan from freshman and sophomore year, his mentality and his confidence just seemed worlds higher. And that's the big thing for me. Is Chris going to come out with that level of confidence? Because if he does, I do think that his ceiling is 20 points a game, nine rebounds. I think he could be a lottery pick next year. In the early mock drafts, I've seen the Kings actually pick him. So if Chris and Keegan go back on the same NBA team, 
there might be a lot of Iowa fans moving to Sacramento. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait for those games. I know Brad Underwood's a huge fan of Tony Perkins too. Oh, yep, tough, tough guard. Uh, I know Brad personally likes him a lot. So it's going to be a great team. Uh, David Eichel can't wait to see more of those basketball games, of course, uh, and of course uh, Iowa visiting Illinois later this year. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, man. By the way, they got to start doing two two mandate, mandated two games for basketball. I don't know how many, every, every, every off season. I think you and I text each other like, are are they really only doing one game? You this protect year? this rivalry. Hundred percent, right? especially when USC and UCLA. I get in the mix. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we continue our Big Ten catch-up with our Big Ten beat writers and one of the best in the business, Jeff RabJohnsPeaks.com. Uh, Jeff, I actually get to talk about Indiana football with you because for the first time since 2017, Illinois and Indiana are actually going to play. Uh, but to start the conversation, Indiana had high expectations going into last year after a really good uh, 2020, pretty solid 2019 too. So what happened to go 2-10, and 0-9 in the Big Ten? Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting situation because Indiana, 2019-2020, they go to January bowl games. First time in program history that Indiana has gone to back-to-back January bowl games. And then they go into the last season with expectations. You know, Michael Penix was on a Heisman watch list. You know, you had, you had different guys, a lot of different guys on different watch lists, and people were talking about, you know, you know eight, nine wins. You know, how good can they be? Uh, but that was a conversation during the season. How good can they be? Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the bottom just falls out. And I, I think a few things w- impacted that a great deal. One, they had a lot of injuries. You know, your starting quarterback, your backup quarterback, um, one of your best linebackers, uh, an All-American cornerback who you really built your secondary around and you kind of built your whole defense around the secondary being elite. All of a sudden, it's not elite. you got to adjust your linebackers. you got to adjust what you're doing. And so injuries were a big factor. It wasn't just the number of injuries, Jeremy. It was at key positions. And Indiana did not have the depth to bring somebody else impactful into those situations. The other thing that happened is they got shell-shocked at Iowa. You know, they just, it was, they got jolted. And, you know, talking to Tom Allen, I think, I think this is the first time he's really come out and said it. But he said, basically, they never recovered from that. And I think that was kind of observable, that there was a little bit of, oh, crap you know, moment for them. And I think they got on their heels mentally and psychologically. It was kind of like, oh, are we good? Are we not good? So I, th- I think those were the two biggest things that played into last year, just just being a mess of a season for Indiana. So now you get a reset of an off season. New offense coordinator, Walt Bell. Um, you know, me doing Illinois passing numbers all year. I, I see Illinois, and it's like, oh, Indiana's actually worse, Northwestern right there. But what do they hope Walt Bell brings after a head coaching stint at UMass? Yeah, I, th- I think that what they're hoping for from Walt Bell is is a really live, creative mind to look at each opponent week by week and go, okay, how are we best prepared to attack this defense? Um, I think last year at times they went in just a little more of a, almost a blanket approach. You know, we're going to try to get really good at these things over the course of the season and just keep, you know, there was, you didn't see, you know, a lot of like the levers flipping. Okay, this idea with the tight end, it ain't going to work today, so throw it in the trash real quick. But, hey, man, we, we can get these power runs going to the right, so let's, you know, and, and that was something uh, when Kalen DeBoer was there, you know, now the head coach at the University of Washington, he was so good. Somebody once told me this about him. He said he coaches with no ego. And I said, well, what, what in the world does that mean? And he said he'll come in with a game plan, and if he's got 20 things that he thinks are going to work, if five of them don't, 
He doesn't try to force it. He throws them in the trash as fast as you can because you only get so many plays. Um, and, I, and I think last year Indiana sort of stayed with some things like a little too long. They got a little almost maybe generic might be might be an okay word. So I think they're hoping that there's a little more you know creativity with Bell, a little more looking at each opponent, trying to figure out what's going to work that week. Uh, so I think that's the big thing with Walt Bell that they're hoping for. So what are the Coming off a two intense season, it's hard to ask about strengths of the team. But what are the expected strengths of the Hoosiers? Well, I, I do think their secondary should be very good. You know, you had an All-American cornerback in Taiwan Mullen coming back. You know, he was one of the key guys who got injured last year. He's back. Uh, he's a team leader. Obviously, he was one of the three players they brought to, to media day. He's very good. Um, I, th- I think he's been All Big Ten on one of the teams the whole time he's been in college. Um, so I, th- I think their their secondary should be the strength of their team. It's the best unit. I think it's the unit that has the most good players who also have experience in the system. Um, you know, some of the transfers in might be pretty good, but I think the, the secondary will be the strength of their team. And they've got some good linebackers, but obviously, you know, Cam Jones is going to have to fill in for Micah McFadden. And McFadden was incredibly productive with the way Indiana runs its defense, with the way they want the linebacker to make quick decisions and go attack. Um, so we'll see if they can have somebody there. But if you're picking a strength for Indiana, I'm going with their secondary. Biggest question, quarterback. You know, Penix obviously transfers on after a couple injury-plagued years. What's the battle look like there? Yeah, I I think quarterback is is the biggest question as far as most impactful position. You know, they still have some questions on the offensive line, but they've got some experience, and if they can just be solid on the offensive line, you know, that'll be better than last year. But, you know, Michael Penix, when he was good, he was special. He really was. I mean, he won them games because there were throws Michael Penix could make that most college quarterbacks just can't make. You know, and it wasn't like, oh, that was a great design play. It was like Michael Penix went, oh, crap, that's not working. Let me run over here and sort of wave at my guys, and they're going to run something. And I'm going to throw a 30-yard laser in his face mask, and he's going to catch it. You know, I mean, it was like Penix was spe- when Penix was good, he was special. You know, 20 completions in a row at Michigan State. Other games that he clearly, he won for him. So what they need is the quarterback play, you know, has to get consistent. You're not going to have another. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a Michael Penix in the room, in the quarterback room. But you've got Jack Tuttle, who's got some experience, who had some good games, um, showed showed a lot of toughness. He's obviously one of the leaders of the team. Connor Bazelak transfers in from Missouri. You know, he was an SEC freshman of the year. He's got a lot of experience. So I think right now it's a pretty legit battle between those two guys. So we'll see who wins it. Um, but whoever wins it, for Indiana to get back to a bowl game, they're going to need good quarterback play. It's an interesting setup. With the opener for Indiana against Illinois at home, Illinois will have a game under its belt with the Week Zero game against Wyoming. Uh, obviously, Indiana will be able to see what Barry Lunny's offense looks like, a first-year offense coordinator. Illinois will not have anything on Walt Bell besides what he did at UMass. So, um, But Illinois will also have a game under its belt, which is always nice. So what do you think of the dynamic, and what's that game mean for Indiana? Well, it's an interesting dynamic because you hit on the key points because there's trade-offs. You know, Illinois is going to have a game under its belt. So when do you usually make most of your improvements? First game to second game. Figure out what doesn't work. Guys really understand things. So Illinois is going to be a lot better in week two than it is in week one. Indiana, like you said, they're going to be able to watch Illinois play. They're going to get at least an idea of scheme, personnel deployment, lineups, uh, those kind of things. So there's trade-offs. Um, and which trade-off matters more, you know, hey, we'll find out here in a few weeks. I do think it's a really big game for Indiana. Maybe one of their biggest home op- or season openers, home openers uh, in quite a while because um, it is a conference game. But I think with Indiana, you have a fan base sitting there going, was 2019, 2020 just two special years in a vacuum and where is the program? I think there's a whole lot of people sitting out there going, well, are, are we a program on the rise? Was 2021 an aberration? Or were 2019-2020 aberrations because the secondary got an enormous amount of turnovers in 2019, led the country in some of those categories because Michael Penix was special? I think you've got a fan base kind of sitting there going, what is our program? And I think a whole lot of fans are going to jump on the bandwagon or jump off the bandwagon in week one. So from the standpoint of not only Indiana's season, the the team on the field, what record they have a chance to have, but I think from the standpoint of the psyche of a fan base, that's as big of a week one game as Indiana's had in a while because is Indiana expected to be good? No. Got picked to finish last in the Big Ten East. But I think some Indiana fans who really pay attention, they look at the roster. They look at 
they've got seniors, juniors, and sophomores who are part of, on paper, three of the better recruiting classes that Indiana's had in, in, in the rankings history. People looking at it go, if they put it together, they should at least be a bowl team. Nobody's expecting great, but people are hopeful of six and six, seven and five, a bowl season. That's that's what they're really hoping for. But I think an awful lot of people, Jeremy, in the Indiana fan base are are, are going to pay attention to week one and be all of a sudden really excited, and they're going to jump on the bag win, or they're going to toss up their hands and go, ah, just like Iowa last year. Yeah, it feels like Scott Frost the only coach in conference on the hot seat, but with yeah. it, is this season big for the temperature for Tom Allen, who seems like he loves that job, is an Indiana guy. What's this year mean for Tom Allen? Yeah, I don't know if it's that big. It, it's not a Scott Frost-like situation, you know, because Indiana football is not Nebraska football from a historical standpoint. Um, and Allen did lead IU to, you know, two January bowl games, you know. Uh, you've got a grand total of, I think, three IU football coaches have done that, okay, or two, him and Bill Mallory. Um, so, I, you know, and, and he's an Indiana guy who has a lot of ties. He has a lot of support. He wants to be there. He's not looking at Indiana like, you know, like Kevin Wilson was like, hey, if I go to Indiana and win a couple bowl games, I'm going to get this job. That You know, he looked at it as a stepping stone. Tom Allen is all in. If Tom Allen wins at Indiana, he's going to be there for 20 years. So I think because of that, you know, people understand, especially with the purse strings of the IU Athletic Department, you're not going to go out and spend five, six million on some big name coach. They don't have the money. They don't. You know, um, so I think there's there's going to be, you know, as long as this season is solid. Now, you know, two wins again. Oh, hey, that might be a different story. But even if you know, win four or five, and you're competitive in the others, and it looks like you're playing good football, he's going to be fine. Especially when you look at the recruiting classes he's brought in. He's got he's gone down to Florida. He's got some dudes. Okay, some really good players. He's done really well there. Really well in the South. So I think the people who pay close attention. They understand that, you know, you can't just be going and grabbing some name coach and churning the roster over every four or five years, and, and that just doesn't work. So, so I think overall, as long as there's improvement this year and, and they're, they play good football, you know, even if it's only four or five wins, if they're playing good football, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think you're right with, like, the basketball schools in the Big Ten, Purdue, Indiana, Illinois. I think you got to find somebody who wants to be there. I think yeah, that's really absolutely. important. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so – Talked a little bit about that. I know most people want to talk about Indiana basketball, and I'm sure that's the same way on your site. Um, bringing back Trace Jackson Davis, there's talent. Xavier Johnson, Race Thompson, who I love watching play. And, of course, they have some young talent. Um, what's the buzz right now in Indiana? Is there now, right now, the Big Ten favorite, according to most metrics? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of buzz. I think people are incredibly excited for the season. Obviously, uh, I would call Trace Jackson Davis Mike Woodson's most important 2021 recruit, 2022 recruit. Excuse me. Um, getting him to come back was a big deal, and certainly he went. You know, he went out to LA, did draft prep, and then you know he tested positive for COVID, so he wasn't able to go to the combine. If he had been able to go to the combine, maybe you and I are having a different conversation. I think he was highly likely to come back. But you and I have both seen guys go to the combine, do really well. Two or three teams go, hey, wait a minute, we, we want you. You're not ready yet, but you're going to be good in two years. Jalen Williams is a similar prospect. <laughs> there you right? go. There you go. Good point. Um, so, Trace Jackson Davis, you know, he'll be clearly, you know, up there with Hunter Dickinson, player of the year candidate. Uh, Indiana has a terrific front court uh, with Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, and then they bring in five-star Malik Renault, who has been very good already this summer, played down at Montverde one of the big prep schools, and actually played two years there. Uh, so he's had a lot of time playing against big-time prospects with and against talent. Uh, so I think he's going to be another guy in the front court who's going to play. Um, I don't think he's going to unseat Race Thompson as a starter, but he's going to play. And then, you know, in the backcourt, um, you know, you look at Xavier Johnson, I think the biggest question with Xavier Johnson is this. Over the course of a season, is he going to be the Xavier Johnson of down the stretch or the one of the first month and a half of the season? Because the Xavier Johnson first month and a half was very erratic. Down the stretch, Xavier Johnson and Trace Jackson Davis, the way they played together, was the reason IU was able to win games at the end of the regular season in the Big Ten tournament and make the NCAA tournament. Xavier Johnson, in my opinion, had the biggest delta between his bad play and his good play. When he was good, he impacted the team making the NCAA tournament. Um, and then Jalen Huchifino, the six foot five, five-star point guard, they also got out of Montverde Academy. Uh, he's going to play. And I'm not going to fall out of my chair if he starts. I don't know what decision Mike Woodson's going to make. He's a freshman. I get all that, but he's good enough to start. And and at six foot five, I think two oh, he came in at six foot five, two oh eight, somewhere around there. He's got a Big Ten body right now. You know, and he's an, he's another guy who played two years at Montverde. It wasn't just one. 
So he's got a lot more time playing against elite guys. And then I think they're they're looking at other guys like Tamar Bates. Um, can he make a jump? You know, he, he had some flashes last year. Um, you know, Jordan Geronimo, he certainly had some flashes late in the season. You know, he was a key reason they won the game at Nebraska. Um, he had some moments, you know, in the Big Ten tournament there were four or five minutes of very impactful play. You know, Miller Cop, you know, it's funny with Miller, he had a great game at Syracuse, you know. Uh, they lost the game in overtime, but he had a great game. And then he sort of struggled after that. But, you know, he's had a really good summer. He's really reshaped his body. Um, and if you get a guy out there at 6'7", six, 6'8", six, who can hit threes, that's another weapon. Um, but I think those are the kind of key guys you look at. And, and the two other freshmen, you know, Caleb Banks is about six foot eight or so, a kid they got out of Atlanta. And uh, he's 6'8". People call him power forward. But the thing that's interesting is I got a chance to see him a lot. In the many games I saw, he made multiple threes. Is he going to be able to, as a freshman, come in and be that guy four or five minutes that really helps you either expand your lead or if the game's close, he gives one of the main front court guys a blow and, and, and you don't lose a lead or, or you know, you know, can he be one of those guys? Um, so I think they've got a they got a good rotation. Trey Galloway, I think you know, assuming he comes back, um, you know, from his groin issue, fully healthy, he's he's in the rotation as well. So there's a lot of optimism, you know. Now, on paper, a lot of people are saying Big Ten favorite. When you look at Big Ten schedules, maybe you pause and say we should look at that a little deeper. Um, and I think that's Indiana a, got a tough schedule. Illinois, meanwhile, got a nice schedule for that. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, you look at, okay, how many of the teams you project to be in the top half do you have to beat? And I think I think on paper, you make a case for Indiana. I think when you look at the schedule, I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I think it's, I think it might be a little tougher road than, than people think. Um, but, but whether you win it or finish top, you know, two, three, four, the biggest thing in my mind, and I understand the players want to win it, host the trophy, put it in the trophy case. I get all that. That's all great. But you and I both know how you do in the NCAA tournament is more important than what you do in the regular season. So whether you finish one, two, or three in the Big Ten, what seed do you get and how well do you do in the NCAA tournament? I think that's the biggest thing for Indiana this year. Well, my fans know that very well after the last couple of years. But, sure. Jeff, I do have to say this. Um, it's nice to see Indiana and Illinois towards the top of these metric projections given some of the rough years they've had. So um, what do you think of Mike Woodson for people that, uh, for Illinois fans that, Maybe doubted the hire. I know some people sure. doubted the hire. Like, what have you seen from him so far? Yeah, you know, it was you know, obviously, I think everybody knows the story. You know, he he comes from the NBA. You know, head coach, assistant coach. His whole career was NBA, and he came in, and I think a lot of people had questions, understandably so. One of the things that I, that I heard before, when he was basically when he was being discussed as a candidate, talked to some people in the NBA, and they said, "Listen, here's something you need to understand, Rabbi." A lot of times when he was an assistant coach, he was brought in to help with the young guys, the rookies, the first-year guys, the second-year guys. How old are those guys in the NBA? They're 19, they're 20, they're 21. What age are most college kids? They're 19, they're 20, they're 21. So a lot of people told me he can relate really well to young guys. And you see that in games. You see that in practices. You know, you can see, you hear reports of it. You know, And the guys who are on the team, you know, they really relate well to him. Um, the other thing is I think tactically he brings a lot because, you know, he's got this sort of NBA-style ball screen offense. There's a lot of specific things that are in there. And, you know, the IU players were like, man, this is like a 400-level class. This isn't 100-level or 200. This is like a 400-level class. And obviously he did a lot, he did a lot with the defense to start. Um, you know, they were, they were number one in Ken Palm in Big Ten defensive metrics last year. And part of that was Mike Woodson looked at the team and realized we're not going to be great offensively. They just didn't have the guns. But he thought, hey, we can be great defensively, so let's do that. Get to the NCAA tournament. You know, that was basically job one in year one. Get to the NCAA tournament. He did that. Uh, but I think with... Um, you know, some of the experienced players coming back, some of the additions, the chances of, you know, Jalen Hutchifino, Malik Renault, Xavier Johnson, maybe all shooting a little bit better. They're not going to be a great shooting team, I don't think, unless we have, you know, mana falling from heaven. But they they should be better. I, I think you're going to see a little more of his ball screen offense at, applied. But he, he's been really good. And because he played at IU, he gets the Big Ten. He gets the rivalries. He understands how important it is to beat Purdue you know he you know he can feel that where Archie Miller kind of looked at it like eh, it's, it's a rival but it, on paper it's just another game 
No, it's not. Not for Indiana fans. It's not. And losing nine in a row to your rival, Indiana fans don't walk, want to walk around this state feeling embarrassed for four damn years. I can tell you that. You know, and some fans looked at Archie like, you don't really understand the dynamics in this state. And uh, Woodson gets it from that standpoint. Um, he's also, you know, he's recruited really well. Now, his assistants, Kenya Hunter, you see Rosemond, Ryan Walsh, they deserve some credit. They've done a really, those guys have, you know, been in trenches before. They got a lot of connections. You know, Mike Woodson comes in the door. You know, he, he doesn't know the guys from Indy Heat or Indiana Elite or, you know, the Atlanta Celtics or Compton Magic or Team Takeover or, you know, Team Durant. doesn't know them. But, you know, he is really good relating to families. And one thing you hear is that when kids come on campus, talking to guys who, you know, committed or other people, parents, whatever, they're like, man, that guy's great in the room. You sit and talk with him and you want to play for him. You know, Race Thompson, when he was, when Race Thompson was talking about the meetings that the current players had when Woodson was first hired, do you stay and play for this guy or do you transfer? Race Thompson said, I walked out of my first meeting with him and thought, how in the world do you not want to play for that guy? So Woodson does have that. He's got a really good mechanism to relate to players. Um, and I think that's maybe one of his biggest attributes in addition to, you know, X's and O's and things like that. So he's done a good job so far, and I think people are really excited. And I think, like I said, I think Indiana fans, they feel like somebody needs to be in that chair who understands Indiana, you know, that IU versus Purdue is a big damn deal, and getting to the NCAA tournament is a must. And, and Woodson feels it. Whether, whether he succeeds or not, we'll see. It's going into year two. But the results, you know, got him to the NCAA tournament after they hadn't been for four years. Um, you know, got him very good on defense. Now, can you take steps offensively? Can you do something in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I've always thought Assembly Hall was the best place to go to to watch a game in the Big Ten. Just that atmosphere is electric. I think Mackey's giving them a run for the money, yeah. but to, to have Indiana back at the, and, and being a, a Big Ten contender I think is huge. Jeff Rabjohn, you're the goodsmanpeaks.com. I'll see you in about five weeks here, man. Absolutely. Always appreciate you, Jeremy. All right, we're continuing our catch-up with Big Ten beat reporters. And to fill us in on Purdue, an old friend, Tom Deanhart <laughs> at Rivals.com, covers Purdue, covers them really well for GoldenBlack.com. Uh, Tom, Purdue, surprise team last year. i got to be honest, I, I picked them last <laughs> last year. I don't know if you guys saw that coming. Love David Bell and, and what, a, what a monster year he had. But um, what did you make of last year with Purdue football? Yeah, Jeremy, you know, nine wins. Uh, that was Purdue's first nine-win season since 2003. So, yes, nobody anticipated that type of success. Remember, Purdue's coming off, like every school, that crazy COVID year. They only played six games. Won their first two, lost their last four. So, yeah, so needless to say, there wasn't a lot of optimism or momentum going in in this last season. But, yeah, crazy storyline. Um <clears throat> Purdue's defense played better than expected. That was the real story of the season last year. The other real story was the emergence of Aiden O'Connell. If you remember, Jeremy, Jack Plummer began the year as a starter. The offense floundered, really, through September. Then they made the switch, and the rest is history. The offense took off, and the defense continued to play well. They won some close games. They won some big games. Uh, Of course, culminating with that scintillating overtime win against Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. So here we are. Next year's here, and there's a lot of optimism. Season tickets are uh, have been sold at their highest level. Aiden O'Connell's return is huge. Plenty of starters back on defense, a very friendly schedule. So, yeah, this is a team that thinks it can win at least six games and get to a bowl. Uh, could maybe win nine again. So, yeah, there's a lot of optimism uh, for Purdue. So you lose a guy like David Bell, who's just so special, but Purdue continues to just funnel in these receivers, right? Rondale to David Bell, and, and now they had Charlie Jones. I know they got other yeah. talented guys there. Um, this is like the one passing attack in the Big Ten West that is really, really good. Why should that continue this year? Aiden O'Connell, I think, you know, uh, storybook career, a story made for Hollywood. Maybe that's a bit of an overstatement. He came as a walk-on, Jeremy. Stevenson High School, suburban Chicago, is going to go to Wheaton College. Comes to Purdue because he wants to be a coach, wants to just soak things in for four years under Jeff Brom. All of a sudden, he becomes a, a significant factor. Now he's one of the best Big, big Ten quarterbacks, and uh, that, that's why the passing game should continue to flourish. This is his sixth year. Um, you talked about some of the receivers. <clears throat> There's a question, though, about who's going to be their number one receiver. 
There's no heir apparent. Um, Milton Wright was going to be that guy, but Milton Wright's academically ineligible. Quite a blow. Uh, I think there's plenty of options, though. That they seem confident. They may not have an elite guy who's going to take the top off a of defense, but they've got six, seven, or eight guys that should make this go. And you talked about Charlie Jones, uh, another Chicago area kid. Him and Tyrone Tracy both transferred from Iowa. They're both wide receivers, and they both could be very key players for Purdue this fall, no doubt. So defensively, they took a big step forward yeah. last year. Um, can they maintain that momentum? Is that the expectation? Yeah, that's, man, Jimmy, again, that was the real story last year, I think. Um, seven starters are back. Uh, the question there up front is there's no George Karloftis, who was a first-round draft choice of the Chiefs. Who's going to bring the pressure? That's that's maybe the biggest key on defense. The line's going to be very good, they think. Um, but, again, are there any difference makers? We'll see. The linebackers are just solid. I think the back end can be can be okay. So as long as you're good up front, you have a chance to have a good defense. Um, the one other X factor is they're on their fourth defensive play caller in four years, if you can believe it. Um, you go from Nick Holt to Bob Diaco to Brad Lambert, now Ron English. So don't expect anything different drastically or schematically from Purdue's defense. But again, there's enough returning personnel, even without Carl Office, to make the defense at least solid, I think. I don't know if people think about this because you had two years that were down there, including that COVID year you, you talked about. But Jeff Brom, he put into perspective what he's accomplished uh, at Purdue. You're a Big Ten guy. You've seen a lot of Big Ten football, so that means you've seen a lot of bad Purdue football. Uh, it goes without saying the Daryl Hazel era was an epic failure. He's produced Tim Beckman. <laughs> Jeff Brom walked into that rubble back in 2017 and. Uh, Got Purdue right to a bowl game, and two go two bowl games right off the bat. So he's done a great job. Um, Purdue is a difficult place to win consistently, um, but he's got the personality that fits that school. A no frills coach for a no frills school, and uh, maybe most importantly too, Jeremy, is he's an offensive coach who likes to throw the football. And if there's one thing Purdue's known for, it's that cradle of quarterbacks passing offense mentality and he's maintained that and that had been lost since Joe Tiller left to be honest with you so yeah he's been a he's been a godsend and uh, to Purdue and uh, gotten them back to relevancy he's definitely brought that identity right back to, to Purdue football which you got to have in a program like that um, speaking of identity Matt Painter certainly has that with Purdue basketball uh, with Zach Eady, all the bigs he's had, but he just had a generational talent in Jaden Ivey. Good year, and it was so, somewhat disappointing for them, but this offseason I think was disappointing in not landing kind of that, that point guard, uh, but they still return a lot of experience. So what's kind of the outlook for, for Purdue basketball going into the fall? I don't think they're going to be a contender for the title unless things develop as nobody anticipates here. I think they're a team that still should be an upper division Big Ten team. Um, should make a push for the NCAA tournament as a lower seed, I would think, between 8 to 10. Maybe I'm being too harsh or critical, but talked about a generational talent in Jaden Ivey. He's gone. Travion Williams, too. Don't forget about Travion Williams, a very versatile big man. And uh, line killer, Sasha Stefanovic. <laughs> Sasha, the great shooter, right? So, yeah, they, they got, you know, they've got the, some good young players. Trey Coffin, Wren's coming off a red shirt. Um... <clears throat> So then they brought in David Jenkins, the kid from Utah, to, to help them in the backcourt of guard just to fill some scoring void that they do have. Caleb First, the kid from Fort Wayne, was a true freshman last year who helped them. Talked about Zach Eady as well. So, you know, Brandon Newman's a kid who's kind of had a strange career, but he could be poised for a bigger role. So, you know, Purdue is kind of always what, what it is. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, that, that a team that's going to really pride itself on its defense and, and painters try to make a point of uh, being able to shoot the ball and recruit guys who all can shoot the ball. So there's a, there's a lot to like, but again, I think um, Purdue's probably a team that's not really of, a, of the contender status but still should push for an at-large NCAA berth. It's kind of a big-picture question, but he's been so successful with these big men, yet the NCAA tournament success hasn't come Brad Underwood's changing a lot. I've seen Fran McCaffrey change a lot since they had their generational big man, Kofi and, and Luca Garza. 
do you think Painter ever goes away from that, or is this just his thing that he's going to do? And it's it's obviously got, brought him a lot of success. I think at this point, 16 years in your Purdue tenure, you are what you are, and just embrace it, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like you said, we all know the game of basketball has changed to almost a positionless game, right? You got to be able to run the court, shoot and defend. Um, it's not 1975 with Bob Lanier and and Wes Unsell and those guys. Uh, but again, Painter's really developed the reputation. The program's developed the reputation for for the recruiting and developing big men, and they win a lot of games that way. Now, we've talked off air about does that translate to marked success? For Purdue, it really hasn't. But um, I still think you, you keep rolling your dice. At this point, if you're Painter, I know, I know you always have to be willing to evolve and change your stripes, but I think I would always want to continue to to fancy myself as a place to come if you're a big man and just hope to continue to develop and maybe recruit some good backcourt players, especially a good point guard. Tom Dino, you're the goods, man. Appreciate it. Hey, Jeremy, you know I appreciate you very much, buddy. Hope you enjoyed all that insight from all the Big Ten writers, especially the ones on the 24-7 Sports Network. We appreciate all their time and insight and getting you ready for the college football season. We'll have much more coming out of Big Ten Media Days, including some really good interviews with Illinois football players. We'll have the latest from Brett Bielema as well. And Josh Whitman will be here, so we'll probably get to catch up with him at some point as well. But appreciate you listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, everybody take care of each other. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next time on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.